Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Jake Quarry along with Mark Dykton, Kevin Bowen enjoying vacation down in Florida. Sam Fritz running the big board for us this morning. A guy that vacation is probably a foreign word to him because it would be difficult when you're on the Colts beat, especially this year. There seemingly is no offseason. Stephen Holder joins us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You can read Stephen's work, of course, at ESPN.com. And uh, Stephen, we'll begin with this. The carousel never necessarily stops and it looks like the Colts might be looking back into the coaching waving uh, waiver wires if you will right a couple of positions that might be opening up for them yeah um, certainly the the big one to me is the uh, the special teams coordinator Bubba Ventron especially because I did not anticipate that he would be leaving and and now it seems like that is very much a possibility um you know, on this one, what's interesting is that, you know, I think there was an anticipation that there was anticipated that he would he would remain, uh, and that's that's kind of how I had been moving forward. But I, I wonder if if this wasn't something that just came up. I mean, with with Cleveland just now firing their special teams coach, uh, I believe on on Tuesday morning, uh, it, it's it strikes me at least as if. Uh, they they decided to make this move because maybe they figured they could get Bubba Ventrone, you know. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's very interesting. I, I do think that he is among the the top special teams coordinators out there. I think this is if, – if this ultimately happens, if this does, uh, you know, actually come to pass, I do think that uh, this is going to be a, a big blow to the Colts. I, I think he really has uh, been a, a, a big – force for them and has helped them win games over the years i was saying Stephen, you know a couple i don't know half an hour ago we were talking about it and i was saying look you know he played in cleveland so i understand that you, you never know what motivates somebody to we often think like yeah. well it's indianapolis you know this is the the great and i mean obviously i'm convinced it's the greatest place on earth and when i become mayor it'll be even greater but um <laughs> that said how much of it do you think could be fueled by the fact that, you know, hey, listen, I, I applied and interviewed for the head coaching position and they chose someone else over me, so I'm going to go ahead and look elsewhere? I mean, I think you have to at least consider it, right? And then there's also uh, the the reality that I, I thought Bubba Ventrone was, was best positioned to be the uh, interim head coach, and he was not tabbed for that either. I didn't expect him to get the head coaching position, the permanent job. I thought there was a lot of good competition there, but I, I think it is, it, it is reasonable for him to, to be disappointed maybe in, in not getting the chance to be the interim. You know, particularly because Bubba Ventrone uh, has been on record and very clear about wanting to become a head coach, and and he has had a little bit of momentum toward that in, in the last couple of years. His name has has become more known in league circles. And, and I think it's something that is a reasonable goal for him now. And, you know, look, I mean, maybe being an interim coach isn't necessarily uh, a resume maker all the time, but 
but it's an opportunity. It's definitely an opportunity, and, and he did not get that opportunity. I have no idea whether that is driving any of this for him, but I, I think those are the things that you have to at least consider. The other thing is I would be very interested if this happens. I would be very interested in, in knowing if he ultimately gets like an associate or assistant head coach title which then perhaps means more money, et cetera, and, and certainly more responsibility. So so that's something to consider as well. ESPN Colts reporter Stephen Holder joining us on the Payless Lurkers Hotline on Kevin and Query. Stephen, the percentage chance that Bubba Patron, Patron takes the job with Cleveland, I feel like when the news came out yesterday it was pretty low, and then now it seems like it's done a wild swing in the opposite direction. What percentage would you put on him actually departing and heading to Cleveland? Well, before the news broke, I got a text yesterday morning and said, hey, Bubba Ventron's going to Cleveland. <laughs> Literally, that was what wow. I got. And and I looked into it, and I said, whoa, 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 wait, what's going on here? And I, I the second text I got when I poked around was that, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it looks like it's happening. Uh, so, And then I got more context in that they had requested an interview. But the, the reason I bring that up is, is not because I'm trying to, you know, I'm not trying to necessarily, you know, cloud the issue. What I'm saying is the the expectation out there is that this is going to happen. That was that was the expectation when this news broke among I'm talking about among NFL people before news became public. That is what I was hearing. And I wasn't hearing, "Hey, they're interested in talking to Bubba Ventrone." It was no, he's gone. And so I, there was People were convinced that he's gone. Let's put it that way. So I, I am kind of expecting it to happen. It's not a confirmation, and I'm, you know, I've kind of chose my words carefully here. But I, I, I seem to, uh, or they seem to be convinced that it's happening. Let's put it that way. People who know more than me seem convinced that it's going to happen. So, uh, yeah, that's I don't disagree with your statement. So, <laughs> it so what? Looks a, like it's going to happen. So, what a departure. Him leaving, would that be a shock for those in the building? Because wasn't he at the Steichen yeah. introductory press conference with Gus Bradley? It made it seem like those two guys were staying, and now not even a week later, you know, it looks like he's moving on. Let's put it this way. I, I reached out to a source uh, in the Colts building uh, before this news broke. That person did not know. Let's put it that way. So I do think all indications to me, and, and this is someone who's not, you know, not necessarily – way down the food chain, if you will. Uh, so that indicates to me that this is something that, that just came about and is just unfolding um, and and that, yes, they did anticipate he would be staying. Because, again, I, I think him being at the press conference, or Steichen's introductory press conference, it's not necessarily a, a slam dunk, but I, I do think it said a lot. And, and I know that Steichen met with, uh, met with the coaches last week individually, uh, at least most of them, as far as I know, and I I got the impression it was kind of like, all right, business as usual, we're moving forward, and so I was definitely stunned by it, and I think others were too because there was an expectation or at least an assumption that Bubba Ventrone was going to be staying on. Stephen, another coach, obviously that or position that the Colts – Stephen Holder's our, our guest, by the way. Another position the Colts are going to have to fill, presumably, you know, is obviously offensive line coach. Um, you know what people are going to guess, right, or what people are going to ask. 
do you think there's any possibility that Jeff Saturday, A, would take that call, and B, if you're Shane Steichen, do you have Chris Ballard make that call? I think probably not. If you're Shane Steichen, sorry, let, let's, I want to say this delicately. <laughs> if you're Shane Steichen, I would probably not want Jeff Saturday to have any 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 major role with the team. Correct. And you know, nothing I mean? against I, Jeff Saturday, right? I mean, you're yeah. just it's, it's it's just a distraction almost. You know what I'm saying? Because right. it's like there was there was so much has happened. His name has been you know whether you like him, whether you thought it was a terrible decision, whatever. The, there's a lot of opinions though, right? One way or the other. If I'm Shane Steichen, I don't want any part of that, man. I want to run my own program. I want to do my own thing, and I don't want Jeff Saturday within within ten miles of the building. <laughs> and again, it has nothing to do with Jeff Saturday being a good person, bad person, or otherwise. It has nothing to do with that. I just think it's just too much of a, a distraction and too much of a uh, an, an issue that he'll have to talk about too much. And I no, no, for me, absolutely not. And I would say this. I, I heard, I heard, three or four candidates that they have that that have, you know, get garnered interest for that job. He was not one of those people. Let's put it that way. And you know, the the other question, Stephen, there's no doubt about the fact that Jeff Saturday wanted the head coaching position, and, and I had mentioned earlier. I don't know that when he was initially called as the interim that Jeff Saturday wanted the head coaching position. But then, and you you stop me when you believe that I'm off base here, Mm -hmm. then I think the competitive juices started flowing where once Jeff Saturday got involved, and in particular once he felt like he was being unfairly associated with the wins and losses in terms of the, the team itself, then the competitive juice flow where he's like, look, I'm going for this. I want this job. Yeah. And I think that, that because of that, even for Saturday, it would be tough to come back in a situation anything shy of that actual title. Agree or disagree? I, I agree with everything up until the very end. Just And when I say the end, I mean, uh, you know, assuming that he wouldn't want something lesser, but only because I don't know that for a fact. However... I think it's a reasonable take. I really do. I, you were correct on the rest of it. There's no doubt about it. Like, I he went from saying when he took the job, "Hey, I may be terrible at this, and then I'll get out of here," right? <laughs> and and that was clearly not the case. I mean, it didn't go well. He was one and seven, and he at that point didn't say, "All right, you know what? Go get somebody else. Maybe this isn't for me." No, he very much wanted the job, and he very much tried to give context as to how they ended up one and seven and and i think that was kind of his his calling card and his mantra was like hey 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 don't get caught up in the record let me you know here's what you don't know there's all the other stuff that happened and so anyway so all that's true and and i but i I do think that there's there's a human nature here right and human nature is such that (laughs) what you had to have a taste of of the big office you know the corner office and that's intoxicating, man. And you're right. It's it's definitely difficult to to go from that to you know to not having decision making power and and having to, to do a lot of the dirty work. And I mean that's 
that's tough. I mean, look, he's had an opportunity to be the offensive line coach before, and he wasn't interested, at least not at that time. And so, and that was before he had had this opportunity to to be a head coach. <laughs> so it's probably less appealing now after that, you would think. So Stephen Holder joining us on the Payless Liggers Hotline on Kevin and Query. Uh, any coaching names that you're hearing to keep an eye out for for offensive line coach and potentially special teams coordinator if Bob Ventrone end up, ends up heading to Cleveland? Well, the not so much on special teams coordinator so far. I, I, that I don't know. I mean, there have been a couple names rumored on the special teams coach, one of them being the, the, the Eagles assistant offensive line coach. Uh, a couple others that I, I don't want to say on the radio because I am not so sure whether they're accurate, but but there are some rumors out there. I'll I'll, I'll try to flush that out a little more uh, before I go there. But there is one that that people have heard of before. Let's leave, let's leave it at that. Um, let me let me circle back on that when I get more information. <laughs> I don't want to put rumors out there that I know that I don't know to be true. Okay, I'll ask you this one then. Uh, what are your thoughts on Jim Bob Cooter's role on the offense with Shane Steckman yeah. being the play caller? How will he handle being an offensive coordinator that doesn't call plays? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big role. I mean, he has been a play caller before, um, and so I think that helps because you have, I think, a better understanding of of, of the process and, and how the game planning translates um, on game day for the play caller, uh, I, I think that's a big role. And I think sometimes we 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 go too far. I think in separating the play caller from the game planner, offensive coordinator, etc. I mean, the best example is Nick Sirianni. Never called a play a day in his life while he worked for the Colts. Right? Not one time. Frank Reich always called the plays, and I would say that hire worked out pretty well for Philadelphia. Now. I think it didn't necessarily work out purely because he's some great offensive mind. He, he is a good offensive mind. That's true. But, I mean, he brought more to the table than that, let's be clear. But I, but I do think he was very, very valuable to the Colts in that role, even without being the play caller. And so I, I always implore people to not overlook that or get too caught up in who calls the plays. The, uh, calling the plays is hugely important, right? And it's, it's critical, but there's so much more involved in that, and the head coach can't do all of it. Uh, it's 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 putting the game plan together, running the meetings on offense. It's 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 spending just inordinate amounts of time with the quarterbacks, and and getting the blocking schemes together. All of those things are driven uh, largely by the offensive coordinator. When you have a head coach who is the play caller. That's just how that works. I mean, there's only 24 hours in a day, and a head coach gets pulled in many, many different directions. And so, you know, Shane Sykin hasn't experienced this yet, but he's going to find out. I mean, he can't do everything on offense, and Jim Bob Cooter's going to have to take on a lot of those roles that I just outlined. And so that's – but I do think he's up for the task. Uh, he has, he has a, a, I think, a, a long history of experience in this league. Has worked with some good quarterbacks. He has uh, experience with Peyton Manning, for example, uh, Matt Stafford. So I, I think he's up for it, and and I, I think I've, I've heard good things about him and positive reviews of that hire. So uh, I like it. Uh, Stephen, th- this will stun you, I realize. Hmm. I, I don't know at times that I trust my own maturity 
like there are times I think I'm still in the fifth grade. Can can, can we just? That doesn't sound like you at all. <laughs> can 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 you? Will you be willing to to partner with me here on this as my running mate, if you will, on this campaign that I'm going to do? That we're just going to go with JBC, like Trace Jackson Davis for IU. People just call him TJD, right? Can, can we right. just call Jim Bob Cooter JBC? Uh, I'm actually okay with it because yeah, I, yeah, I don't I mean, trust myself. You know what I mean? Then you throw in like yeah, Mo, you, you throw in Moali Cox in the same room, and I just get very uncomfortable. And my job's on the line. Just JBC works for me. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I, I think Thank you. it eliminates the possibility of of <laughs> impropriety. Creator coming out. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> Um, do, that. do you believe, Stephen, and probably the combine is going to be a real indicator on this, which we'll find out, you know, coming off of that here in a week or two, but I, do you believe the Colts are going to move up? I, I don't – I'm not necessarily totally in favor of this because – and I'm really fascinated by it because I think there might be – I think that we – convince ourselves because Indianapolis is for the first time in 10 years seemingly going to take a quote-unquote franchise quarterback in the draft and so therefore we convince ourselves that this is a a quarterback rich draft I don't know that it is I I don't know but I don't know also that there's a huge drop-off I think there are four guys probably that went healthy Four guys that that are are guys that you can drag that are that are worthy of giving a shot to hand the keys over to, but I don't know that there's enough disparity from one to four to mortgage the pieces that you have, and I don't know that the Colts have enough depth of those pieces to move up those three spots. To me, you don't get return on investment. What say you? I don't think that's a terrible viewpoint. And here's the thing, Bryce Young. I love Bryce Young. I think he is I think he's an absolute wonderful player and and any team would be lucky to have him. However, look, I mean the the the, the size issues are are legitimate, right? And and I think when you throw that in there, that makes him an imperfect prospect. There's no question about it. I mean, we we think he might be close to 60, we think, we hope, <laughs> but he's he's probably like 5'11", we'll see at the combine. And Certainly not from a from a weight perspective and, and just, you know, uh, durability. You worry about that, certainly. So, anyway, he's not a perfect prospect. And so trading up to number one, which is what I, I think if you if that's what you want, if that's the guy you want, I think you got to go to number one just to be sure, right? So what it would take to do that potentially versus what you – you know, maybe passing up and say a C.J. Stroud, is that worth it? I, I don't know that answer. I actually think this is not your question per se, but I think it, I think it, it helps uh, explain, uh, well, it helps back up what you're saying. Why are we not talking about C.J. Stroud a little more? I right? totally agree. I, listen, the only thing, Stephen, here would be my answer, and I know that you're asking that somewhat rhetorically, but this would be my yeah. answer. Two things, the first of which should be totally not applicable, and I don't think to the Colts it is applicable, but to fans it might be. Mm-hmm. The pattern of Ohio State players drafted by the Colts ain't a good one, yeah, right? Fair. But I, I think people become naturally hesitant 
about, like if you look at Trevor Lawrence, who I think the world of Trevor Lawrence's skill set, mentality, I mean, I think he is a Peyton Manning-esque talent. I've said that on this show 10,000 times. But I think it was a slower acclimation for him to the NFL because he was so, I mean, look who he was throwing to in college. He yeah. was throwing to T. Right. Higgins. He was throwing to Justin Ross before injury. He was throwing to guys that are that are Sunday players. And I think C.J. Stroud, you get the same it's hesitation a little there. bit. Be, yeah. You get what I'm saying, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, and it, it's something that crossed my mind, right? I mean, <laughs> he's not going to have Marvin Harrison Jr., right? Marvin right. Harrison Jr. might be a better wide receiver than like 50% of the dudes already playing on Sunday, right? That guy's not coming with him. So I get it. Yes, those are those are fear questions, and those are the kinds of things you got to talk about. But you know, I was I was talking, I was on another radio program yesterday, and I, I just kind of fell into this like epiphany. And uh, you know, we were talking about C.J. Stroud, and and I said, you know, he's kind of the guy that no one's talking about, but it's like, tell me what's wrong with him, right? No, and you can't find really a lot wrong with him. And, and the last guy who kind of put me in this mindset was Justin Herbert a few years ago. If you recall, he was kind of just there, and people were like, yeah, nice player. But there were other bigger-name guys, like Tua came out the same year, right? And so he absorbed all the oxygen and, and other guys. And so no one's talking about Justin Herbert. He's just kind of there, and it turns out, yeah, there was really nothing wrong with him all along. He was a great prospect. The Chargers pick him, and it's like, oh, guess what? He's really good. <laughs> I have no idea whether that's C.J. Stroud's outcome, but I'm just saying the, the situations feel comparable, and and maybe we should just pay more attention. So we'll see. I, I have no idea, but but no one's talking about him, so I brought it up. <laughs> There's that. He's ESPN Colts reporter Stephen Holder on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Stephen, thank you for joining us as always. A week from today, we'll probably be bothering you at the NFL Scouting Combine, so we always appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. All right, guys, let's do it. See you. Uh, Stephen Holder joining us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Appreciate it. Stephen Sitter talking to us, and I feel this this presence. It's not uncommon. And, and I look over to my side, and am I hallucinating, or is JMV's on in like nine hours from now, and you're already in here prepping? Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Nine o'clock hour in Indianapolis. Technically, it's the nine o'clock hour everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. Uh, my name is Jake Query, Mark Dykin here as well, Kevin Bowen on vacation, Sam Fritz capably flying the ship for us, and joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, and probably the best story in sports here so far in this basketball season locally, and that is the fever that 
um, not the fever of the WNBA team, but the fever that is rising about Indiana women's basketball. Ranked number two in the country now and coming off of a sellout game at Assembly Hall. The Big Ten champions all alone, as a matter of fact, and their head coach, Terry Morin, joins us on the program. Coach, first off, congratulations on what is a dream season so far and still work left to do, I realize. Well, good morning. Um, Yes, a lot of work to be done uh, still, but, um, you know, it's been an incredible run with um, incredible people. So I'm really proud of what we've been able to accomplish. But, um, you know, we still have our sights set on other things. Well, I want to begin with this, and I I certainly realize that, right? I mean, you're 26-1. and Everything has has gone well, clearly. But I want you to put into, for our listeners, Coach, kind of your mindset of, you know, you've coached your Indiana through and through. I mean, you're from Seymour. You coached at UIndy. You've coached at Indiana State. You, 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 you know, you Purdue. I mean, every school literally you've touched. But to stand there on the sidelines and at some point did you have the moment of epiphany of looking up into the balconies of Assembly Hall and seeing them filled and think to yourself, we have done it? Yeah, you know, I think um, as I've gotten older, I've learned to appreciate, you know, more of those moments. Uh, You know, I think when you're young and you're always chasing the next win, you forget, you know, to really pause for for a couple seconds and just sort of look around because you're always thinking about what's next. But, um, you know, as I mentioned, as I've gotten older, I've, I've tried to be more mindful of those moments where I can look around and see what we've created here and see the buzz about Indiana women's basketball. But more importantly, just see the the joy on the players, you know, their, the faces of our players and our staff uh, and our support staff, you know, because, again, winning is hard. And, um, you know, it takes, uh, it takes a lot. And um, the work, absolutely. But the chemistry, all of it has to, you know, work together. And, um, and so, absolutely, I did uh, pause for a, for a quick second and just, um, you know, sort of um, bask in the – you know, the, the glow of, of what was, was happening around me. Terry Warren, head coach of IU Women's Basketball on Payless Liquors Hotline. I'm Kevin Inquiry this morning. Coach, as a Greyhound alum, I was there when you were coaching you, Indy. It was great to call a couple of your games and interview you a couple times and then see the success you've had throughout your career. What was your initial reaction last night when you found out your team was named outright Big Ten champs? Well, I watched it. Uh, you know, I think we all did. Um wasn't quite sure that that would be the out. Uh, I thought it would be way, a little bit closer of a game. Um, but, um, you know, the one thing about Iowa is even, you know, at halftime uh, when Maryland had built such a, a big lead, it was like, you know, when you have players like Caitlin Clark and Monica Susano and they have pieces that can, can fill it up from the outside, uh, there's no safe uh, lead. And uh, it probably wasn't until – by the four-minute media mark, you know, in the fourth, that um, you know, it, it uh, I realized that uh, we were going to win this thing outright, uh, and you know, I'm biased, but uh, that's how it should be. You know, you have women on your roster that have had phenomenal seasons, a phenomenal season, I should say. You know, Mackenzie Holmes is having a great year, obviously, right? You, you've had multiple players in different games, Grace Berger, that step up and have great performances. But I, I wanted to ask you about this. Sydney Parrish was, you know, a number one recruit, goes out to Oregon, comes back and transfers to Indiana, and 
one might think statistically isn't necessarily a focal point, but has been an integral part and has bought into what it is that you're doing. Does that say more about her in terms of her adapting to the role that you have for her or her teammates for being able to allow her to adapt to that and mix in so well with this group? That's a great question. Um, I, I think both. I also think that, um, you know, you always have to pay tribute to the parents, you know, of Sydney Parrish. You know, she has to have the right people around her in her circle that are always, you know, I think giving her, um, you know, uh, wise advice, you know, on what it's like to come into an already established program the way she did. You know, our culture has been what it's been, you know, since we've built this thing. And um, you're you're right. You know, she's walking into a uh, a team that already has All-American caliber players and Grace Berger and Mackenzie Holmes. Um, but I, I'll say this. The thing that Sid was terrific at was really just kind of finding her way. You know, she didn't try to step on toes. She didn't try to push her voice. And that's the thing about Sid. Sid has a big personality. Sid is has a very high IQ. Um, but she did pick and choose, right, when she was, uh, you know, uh, she in terms of using her voice at the right moments. Um, and I think our, our players, uh, you know, were, I wouldn't say surprised, but, um, you know, they've been um, – you know, very grateful the way she has approached, uh, you know, this team and being a part of it. Um, you know, and she has been a terrific teammate, um, you know, to, to all of them. And she has no doubt uh, been a big part of, uh, you know, why we've been able to have our success because, you know, it, it takes everybody. It takes you know, people uh, just not accepting their role but starring in their role. And, um, you know, Sid has been one of those kids for us for sure. You know, this is the anniversary today, 43 years ago, of the Miracle on Ice. I'm assuming, Coach, that you've seen the movie Miracle. Maybe that's a, an unfair yeah. assumption. but No, no, I haven't. Okay, yeah. so, so in that movie, there's the famous scene where Herb Brooks is making them <laughs> skate after practice, and finally Michael Ruzioni just steps up and says, you know, I play for the United States of America. And Herb Brooks is like, okay, like my job is done here, right? I've gotten through right. to them. Was there a moment with this group that that happened? Was there an epiphanal moment where you said to yourself, we're going to be pretty good? Oh, wow. Um, you know, I, I just – I will say this. Uh, this has been a mature – a very mature group. Uh, and, um, you know, I think they've given us all uh, a lot of confidence. When I say all, uh, the staff, you know, going into each game – uh, because of the maturity level. I don't know that there's been the one game. You know, what I will say uh, is that we lost our leader, Grace Berger, you know, for a, for a period of time, uh, you know, uh, when she went down with a knee injury. And, um, you know, we lost one game while Grace was not with us. And then once we got Grace back, I think we felt like, you know, we started, you know, we were winning games, but the margin that we were winning them by was, you know, su substantially more. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I think we, we, we feel that this is a group, uh, the sky's the limit, you know, for this, for these guys. Uh, I think they feel it. I think we all feel it, uh, when we step on the floor. Um, but, um, you know, they have, uh, they've been committed to one another and they have this, this, this belief, um, that I, and I, cause I, when I listen to them talk about one another, especially in media, uh, there's no question they have the chemistry and they have the belief in one another, um, you know, to, um, you know, to take this thing deep into March. Coach, going off of that, who's a player on your team that doesn't get the, the recognition nationally that is a key piece to your team? 
That's easy for me, guys. Uh, Chloe Moore McNeil, you know, she is an elite defender for us. She always has to, uh, you know, she takes on the the, uh, the 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 job of guarding the opposing team's best perimeter player, um, and she's she's been phenomenal. When Grace Berger went out, we had to slide her over to the uh, point guard position for us, so she had to run our team. And it's not easy to be the point guard on the Indiana women's basketball because we do run a lot of stuff. Um, and um, she was she just you know, without blinking, uh, just moved right over and took over, uh, you know, our, our basketball team for the period that Grace was out. And, um, you know, she's just been, you know, somebody that, um, yeah, I think our local media and especially our fans, I think they recognize as being such an integral part of our success. But, um, you know, she certainly goes under the radar. She's a, she's a great story. She's the kid that um, didn't play as a freshman very much, got a, got spot minutes as a sophomore, but, sat over there on the sideline and was patient and kept coming in and doing the work, just kept getting a little bit better, a little bit better to her junior year where she, you know, she's a starter for us now. Um, you know, day and age where kids don't get their way, they leave. Uh, Chloe wasn't that kid. She understood the process. She understood the, the commitment that it was going to take. She has a great uh, father uh, that wasn't going to allow her to give in and um, just kept kept pushing her. Um, knowing that, um, you know, the big picture was that she was sooner or later going to be a big part of what we're doing. And, uh, you know, sure sure enough, uh, we're not where we're at without Chloe. Okay, I'm going to ask a question to you, Coach, that I'm hoping you'll answer, and I totally understand from a coaching standpoint you're going to hate me for asking, but I'm going to ask it, okay? Somebody asked me this the other day, and I thought that is a fabulous question. If you were to win the national title, does the banner go with the famous five banners in Assembly Hall, or does it go independently because it's the women's team and it's separate from the men's team? Well, that's a great question, but that's that's completely above my pay grade. I would have no idea. <laughs> it, answer the answer that. is wherever they want to put it, right? I mean, like, <laughs> like if you want to hang, I'd hang it from the scoreboard right in the middle of the floor, <laughs> right? They can hang it wherever they would like, but I know this. Uh, you know, Scott uh, Dolson has been terrific uh, to me and our program and our staff, and huge supporter of us. And so I would, I, I know this. It will will be appropriate uh, wherever they decide to hang it. So, um, but uh, you know, we would, we would, we would love nothing more than uh, for that to be a, a topic uh, in their in their meetings. Good problem to have. That's right. It is a good problem to have. Are there bad matchups for you guys? I mean, is there a team that you look at and you think to yourself when you're looking over things and you say, boy, somebody that can do X can give me fits? Or are you pretty comfortable that you guys can cover any base? Well, you know, I think you're always – I mean, you look at what happened last night. You know, Maryland is uh, in, in, in Iowa. I mean – you know, Iowa scores so easily, and uh, last night, you know, they had a really difficult time scoring the ball. Um, and so I, I, you know, I don't know. I'm sure they're, you know, on nights where, and we all have them. It's, it's not a, it's an imperfect game. So, um, you know, you just hope that, um, you know, you, you, um, you, your, your defense can sustain you, and even if it's going to be a low-scoring game, you can score enough points to get to the finish line. But, um, you know, that's the only concern that you have. I think we're pretty sound defensively. Uh, I have a great staff, and we prepare well, and our kids um, are very, very serious when it comes to game planning and, and how we're going to beat teams. Um, and so they, they, they typically can execute on that side of the ball pretty well. 
but um, you know we need the ball to to go in the hoop also to put points on the board. So yeah, those are two things that have to happen. But uh, you know we've been able to do that. Uh, we've we've had to win ugly at times, and um, we've also won you know pretty. But um, you know it's it's just all part of the game, and you just you just hope that um, like I said, you can score enough points. Uh, but I will say this, you know we are. We are very strong when it comes defensively, um, and I'm not saying superior. I just think that we um, we make people work, and um, and if we can continue to do that, then uh, we're, we'll position ourselves, um, you know, in a in a really good way. I think. As the brand of Indiana women's basketball has grown here, um, which is a huge kudos. I mean, it's like I said, number two in the country. Obviously, um, you're selling out Assembly Hall. As the profile ha- has risen. From a recruiting standpoint, Coach, is there is it a challenge to make sure that you are staying true to the formula and the player that has worked for you? And not, in other words, to recruit to what it is that you need as opposed to, hey, now all of a sudden we're just going to take the five best players that want to come to Indiana and being true to the kind of roster that you have. Does that make sense what I'm asking? Absolutely, and it's a great question. And the answer to that is without without hesitation. Uh, you know, we will never sacrifice what what we're about. Um, you know, we're to the point now where we feel like we can we can recruit players that fit us. We don't have to fit them. And um, you know, we we have built this thing on um, our hard work, our our sort of blue collar mentality, uh, character always above talent. Um, and um, we want to coach good kids. We, you know, we don't have, um, uh, you know, the drama. We don't have our kids on social trying to get, uh, you know, likes and platforms and all that stuff. I mean, we, we uh, do the same thing every day. We're pretty vanilla. You know, we come in and, and uh, we're going to have every one of those guys are going to be in before practice or stay after practice and get extra reps in. Um, we built great habits in terms of work habits. Um, we found the unselfish kid. If, if you're going to come to Indiana, you're going to have to be about we and not me. Um, and you can quickly figure that out by the questions they ask in the recruiting process when they're sitting in your office uh, and the parents and their questions. Um, and trust me, guys, when I tell you, we have, we have, even though this is, you know, the year we're having, you know, we've had success in the past, Um but, uh, you know, um, we, and we've also done this. We've had to tell kids no uh, because they just don't fit uh, Indiana and they don't fit our staff. Um, and that's the most important thing to me. I want to coach players that I can walk in every day and know that um, they're going to give me their best, but they're also going to be good kids, high character. They're going to do the right things on and off the floor. They're going to be serious about their academics. Um, as long as they have that work ethic, there's no doubt that, um, you know, our group can, the player development piece is something that we're very passionate about. Our kids, you just got to look at the statistics. Our kids get better year in and year out. Now, if you grow up in Seymour, does that mean that by the time you're like 16, you've, you've heard Mellencamp enough for a lifetime? I mean, that would be the case, right? No, I mean, no, not at all. You know, he came <laughs> to Bloomington. Well, I'll say this, he came to Bloomington, what, two weeks ago? Uh, he's there a lot, right? Uh, well, he is, but he actually played, you know, over at the um, auditorium. Right. He, had, he played on the Sunday night. We were at Purdue, so I went to. I was able to go to the show on Monday night, and it was unbelievable. Yeah. Can you believe this? Was, I've, never well, I, well, I've never seen him. I've never seen him in I concert. Can you believe that? I know, and I'm born and raised here. That's like I literally I should have my Hoosier card revoked. Wow, you should. Um, 
I will say this. I was uh, curious to uh, what he would play. I was worried that he was going to play a lot of his new stuff. Not that his new stuff's not unbelievable. I, I, I know. But, um, he surprised me and played a lot of almost, I don't know if it just uh, happened or um, it, he ha- he played every one of my favorites. Okay, and what's your favorite Mellencamp song? Well, I have a lot of them. So Small Towns, you know, certainly Jack and Diane, Paper and Fire, Cherry Bomb. Um, okay. Uh, underrated? Yeah, check it out. Check it out. Check it out is underrated. Yes. Paper and Fire is also. So um, when we do Hoosier Hysteria here at the beginning of the school, you know, the beginning of the year to, to uh, kick off basketball season, I always come out, you know, all of our kids get to come out to their own song. Uh, and so uh, for, for nine years, I've come out to a Mellencamp song. And um, I've come out to check it out at least two or three times because it's my probably ranks up there as my favorite. Uh, but last year I came out to Rumble Seat, or no, uh, Paper and Fire, which I love as well. How about Authority Song? Uh, Authority Song's another good one. They're all good, but if you listen to him, he will tell you, well, he won't say this, but he'll, you know, because I've, I, I've watched his interviews before, and he's like, you know, that new stuff that, you know, would, that he wrote, he just is like shakes his head like it was trashy. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, like there's nothing trashy about, you know, any of those those earlier songs that he's, he'd ever you know, written. So, uh, but yeah, no, I love, I got to meet him uh, afterwards. So it was a big treat for me uh, to see him. And uh, he was, he was phenomenal. I mean, at 70, what, years old plus, maybe a couple, um, he, he was unbelievable. So you have to, he's right now, he's on tour. So if you can find a, a place where you can go see him, I'm telling you, you I will see, not be disappointed. I'm kind of a Guns N' Roses groupie too. I've seen them like 12 times and, and, they just announced a new tour, and I'm trying to figure that out. So I got to mix Mellencamp into the. I, it's embarrassing that I've never seen him. It's embarrassing. It is, but. and this would be a great, great, great opportunity for you to go see him because it's one of those concerts where you stand up with the oldies, but then you sit down with the new ones because you know it's kind of it's like it's a mixture of the two. It's not like I don't know. That it's like going to be like a Guns N' Roses concert where you're standing on your feet for two and a half hours. Well, but, um, people stand up next to me and they claim that they're standing with the oldies. That's the problem now, right? I mean that's. <laughs> I mean, trust me, you know, that's how it goes. Coach, last one last one for me, uh, the last game of the season uh, is until Sunday when you take on Iowa. You beat them earlier this month. How do you keep the team focused after a week between games and not looking ahead to the Big Ten tournament? Oh, I'm, again, I have to go back to the leadership that we have. Um, you know, Grace Berger is one of the all-time most competitive players uh, that I will ever have the opportunity to coach. And, um and so this group is, is uh, you know, I we, we took Monday off yesterday. We, we practiced. And, um, you know, this is a great week for us to sort of catch our breath because we played three games in seven days. And um, But, um, you know, they want to finish the job. And finishing the job means all the way to the end. Um, and um, and Sunday will be the end of the big, you know, our, our conference season. And then a new season starts for us. And so we break up, at, you know, in, in seasons, preseason, end season, uh, postseason, the Big Ten tournament, and then it'll be NCAA season. So, um, you know, they this is a, a team that um, you know tries to check off all the boxes, and they got one more box to check, and that's beating beating Iowa on Sunday. Well, coach, I've got friends. You know, I went to IU. I've got friends who are whose kids now are at IU, and their kids have loved going to the women's basketball games. They've they've taken to it. They love it. And they're excited by it, and I think there are a lot of people pulling for you guys. So we certainly appreciate the time this morning. I know it's busy. And um, enjoy going and listening to Bellingham too when you can. <laughs> Thanks. You need to get to a concert. Okay? All right. 
I'll do it. We'll get there. I appreciate it, Coach. Thanks, Coach. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Again, Terry Moore and the women's basketball coach at Indiana University.